Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am Kevin Cole, your host. I am joined again by Rich Rebar. Those who have been listening, I had Rich on a few weeks ago. I kind of messed up the timing, quite honestly, on this. Uh, Rich was, I wanted him to talk about rookies, but we're kind of a little too early for rookies. We talked about free agency, got a lot of good information there. So now I asked him to come back, and luckily for me, he's too kind to say no. So I'm exploiting Rich here. Uh, Rich Rebar of Sharp Football, Sharp Fantasy. Uh, How you doing, buddy? I'm doing real good. Yeah, we were going to talk about rookies. We got caught into the storm of free agency. You know, yeah. R.I.P. Corey Davis, who thought that Sam Donald was a starting quarterback <laughs> for the Jets and told us that uh, turned yeah. out not to be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's kind of the first point of business. So we're going to talk um, rookie running backs today. Interesting class. We've been talking a little bit pre-show about how unique it is. I think I have some takes like overall on maybe from a fantasy, from a, like a football standpoint on what's happening with running back classes and what teams could be doing, but that's a little bit separate from the, from the fantasy angle. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, I dig it. but we can talk the Darnold trade. I mean, it's not like exciting. I would say from a fantasy standpoint, there are questions as to what it means for the draft. I mean, I think the obvious thing is the jets are taking Zach Wilson, supposedly, probably, right, Um, at number two. And with Darnold gone, I think if we're going to talk about it from a fantasy perspective and looking at Zach Wilson, because Zach Wilson is a guy that in some early best ball drafts, I was not prioritizing him, despite the fact that he would look like he was going to be drafted earlier. I was not, I, I was prioritizing like a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance if I was going to throw a dart at someone with the assumption that those guys would be running a bit more. They're bigger. You know, Zach Wilson, surprisingly to me, Zach Wilson, I think, weighed in at 212 or something like that. I thought he was going to be under 210. So he's a smaller guy. He can move. He can scoot, but he's a smaller guy. So I wasn't prioritizing him. But I want to know your take on, on this from a fantasy perspective. Because Wilson's there, Darnold's out. That makes me think day one starter a little bit more for Zach Wilson. Whereas we have the situation in San Francisco. We don't know what's going to happen with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I kind of had this galaxy brain take for why they were going to keep him, but now they signed Chase Daniel, so maybe he's actually isn't going to go there. But anyway, so we don't really know what's going to happen in San Francisco. We have Atlanta coming up next. Could they draft someone? You have Matt Ryan there. Again, it's a weird situation where you're not probably not going to play someone fr- from day one. Um, and if you go a little bit further back, you know, I don't know who else was going to be in the in the mix. I don't think uh, I don't think the Dolphins are going to be in the mix. Will Carolina trade up, and will you have Darnold there and a rookie? potentially playing there again a weird situation who's going to start day one so what do you think from from a fantasy perspective how you're viewing maybe the non-trevor lawrence quarterbacks at this point after this move and zach wilson looking like a day one type of guy yeah i mean this class is really interesting because it's so there's a lot of talent here that i think is interesting from uh from my neck of the woods and you know your original background the fantasy background just because all these guys are kind of fit that archetype that we look for and it's just the the archetype that's coming into the nfl i mean just more athletes are playing the quarterback position and guys that have the the dual threat ability not only to have mobility but they're also good passers in these college systems as well you know that wasn't always the case for a number of years with these quarterbacks that had mobility uh now you're getting kind of that, that best of the both world with both quarterbacks uh i'm not as down as wilson as i think like the fantasy like fa- fantasy twitter is i think it's just because fantasy twitter really likes justin fields and i also have fields ahead of wilson that it's kind of become sword and shield fields versus wilson right but wilson still checks a lot of boxes for me i mean the 
he's he's an interesting prospect for a number of levels. Well, well, one, you know, at, at a true freshman at age 19, I mean, he took over as a starter just five games into the season. Uh, just something we always look for, you know, got young players being able to play. He actually closed that that rookie season or not rookie season, the freshman season, he went 18 of 18 passing in his bowl game, hundred uh, percent completion rate in the Idaho potato bowl. If anyone remembers that classic, that probably was that like, 1230 in the afternoon on a Thursday. Um, I remember but, Josh you know, Allen's uh, profile on Wikipedia. The one thing that was on there was <laughs> potato bowl MVP. And I was like, that's yes. it. And then, and then he, and then he just destroyed me last year. He just, he owned me after, after I made fun of him for that. But anyway, go ahead. But yeah, that maybe the, the Idaho potato bowl is actually a skeleton key to unlocking some <laughs> right, of his quarterbacks. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, his second season, he, he regressed, but he went through a, he had a shoulder injury uh, in mid season uh, in 2019. And, and it was, and he just, he struggled that entire season, basically comes back last year in the COVID year and kind of just like goes bonkers, uh, you know, 33 touchdowns and three interceptions, basically complete 75% of his passes. It's like the most insane, like accurate pass around deep balls. I'm sure like PFF, PFF has some great like deep ball stats on Zach Wilson. Uh, I believe on balls like 30 yards or further in the air, like he was like insane um, in this class. You know, the, the really the biggest slight against him is that, you know, at BYU, he just didn't face the level of competition as other cohorts in this class, uh, you know, outside of Trey Lance, especially when you look at Lawrence and Fields, the competition they played regularly, uh, especially Fields. Uh, especially when you're looking at something like, you know, ESPN's like SP plus index. I mean, Fields just, that's where he shines. You know, he faced so many top caliber defenses the past years where Wilson hasn't. And you look at the COVID year where they didn't play out of conference games. You know, we didn't get BYU in, in any, any kind of situation where like they had a chance to play people. And Lance was supposed to play Oregon, the opener, and that obviously got canceled. So we didn't get to see him play a power five team either. And then they just shut down everything. They're actually playing right now. Um, that conference that Trey Lance was in. Uh, But yeah, yeah, but Wilson still like checks a a lot of box for me. The the size really isn't there, but you know, he kind of reminds me a lot of uh, Alex Smith coming out of Utah. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people say, you know, like, I'll Smith, the prospect was a, a pretty solid prospect, though. I mean, uh, he you know, went he number a, one overall. So, yeah, so. <laughs> he went number one. He could move. He didn't have the deep ball like resume that Wilson has. But, you know, he's kind yeah. of like that. He doesn't he, he's kind of a slighter build, like you said, has mobility. He is accurate. You know, people love the off platform throws. That's where people go crazy yeah. for him from a scouting stance is these because he's got a big arm and makes those out of script throws. Whereas Fields is more like methodical. Um, when plays break down, Fields actually looks to kind of run instead of pass where Wilson is like consistently like always trying to attack with his arm uh really the only question like I said is that strength of competition but I mean all signs point to him being a week one starter which kind of gives him value especially in these early kind of best ball drafts where he's still kind of going you know in like that QB 30 ish area uh to kind of take some swings on yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people are pretty sour on the Jet situation generally, probably, too, in coming in there. And, you know, it's always tough to predict when you're going to have, like, these these type of jumps. But sometimes it's not like a linear progression if they get the right pieces in there. Um, they got some of that on the offensive line, but they didn't really go crazy there. Do you think the thing with, with Fields is, do you think, it's not only, it's like kind of media, too, at least a, a decent amount of media, not only fantasy guys, but media. Do you think we're having like kind of some anchor bias here? We anchored on Fields as being the number two guy, and now we're just not coming off of him where I don't know where he's going to go. Like, we really don't know. We're, we're starting to get, we're getting heavy vibes that he might be like QB5 on a lot of people's boards in the NFL, and it just doesn't seem like that's really being reflected into people's opinions outside of, of the NFL and maybe some really connected guys who are going to say stuff like that and then get yelled at on Twitter. 
I'm actually okay with that though. Cause I mean, yeah. I think that the, the, the NFL guys that they have let slide or been kind of sour on through this process. Like they've shown that they've been consistently kind of wrong on, I mean, Justin <laughs> Herbert last year. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the books remains to be written on Daniel Jones and then obviously Josh Allen and he, he had a historic turnaround. I don't think we can expect for a lot of quarterbacks to do, but a lot of people got picked apart through the process and these guys that kind of slip from like a fantasy reasons. I think people have kind of come, come around and said like, we still know fields is going to go high enough. He's going to go to a situation where he's probably going to have a really good chance to start year one. Even if it's not week one, he's going to probably push someone to start. He would have to go somewhere to where he's like really buried, like, like, like Atlanta, where like you just yeah. like Matt Ryan is like established. He's a really good quarterback still um, in, in the top half of quarterbacks in the NFL still. But, you know, d- d- like going to like New England, the Cam Newton, like I would I would bet on fields to, to surpass a guy like Newton if that happened. If he was to go to Denver and Drew Locke, like I, I would anticipate fields to start sooner than later. Uh, if Carolina somehow dipped back in and, you know, it's just him versus Darnold, assuming they get rid of Bridgewater, I would still bet on Justin Fields, uh, you know, to be a starter sooner than later. Really, like Atlanta is the only spot where you wouldn't. Um, so, I mean, I'm still pretty high, even if he does slide a little bit below, just because, like I said, the typical reasons that he's sliding, the NFL is kind of shown to be consistently wrong on those guys that they kind of pick apart through this process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, you know, let's talk about San Francisco for a second here, because I wasn't, I didn't tape last week and there, okay. So obviously the trade up, I don't necessarily want to get into the parameters of whether or not it was a good trade up this now. I mean, we all know what they're doing. They're, they're saying we want to upgrade at the position here. Uh, I guess the question would be for them, do you think Garoppolo has a chance to stick? Some people think it's ludicrous that he would be considered, you know, that that he's going to be there next year um, or that he won't be traded. I mean, there's word out there. They said, oh, they want a first round pick for him. I mean, whatever. They're posturing, right? They they want something for him. Um, (laughs) Now, at this point in the cycle, I kind of wonder from his perspective, like, where is he going to go? Like, where is he going to go and be a starter? Will he take a, a pay cut? There's a potential there. And I do think from San Francisco's perspective, um, and like I said, this has been complicated a little bit by the fact that they just signed Chase Daniel. So I don't know what that what that means for Garoppolo. But I do think from San Francisco's perspective, if you're willing to pay a little bit extra for Garoppolo, you do have a team that can compete, right? This is like this mm-hmm. is not a number three overall pick type of team this is not the Jets you know this is not the Jacksonville Jaguars this is a team that went to the Super Bowl two years ago this is a team with a lot of veteran players on this is a team you invested you know a ton of capital into Trent Williams to 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 pay him a lot of money at 33 years old to be to be your left tackle um from a locker room perspective and other things you know there's risk here if you say we're going to draft whoever it is Mac Jones or someone let's say, because that's what everyone's saying nowadays. Um, we're going to bring in Mac Jones, we're going to trade away, or we're going to let go of Jimmy Garoppolo, and he just sticks up the joint weeks one through three. Like, you're kind of in a world of pain right there from a franchise perspective and maybe from a locker room perspective. So I do wonder if maybe there's a chance that they would keep him around, because you could also re- rehabilitate his value a bit. I mean, I think that they're 22-8 and eight with him in the regular season. They're 24-9 and nine when, you, when you count the playoff run that they had there. I mean, that is a... 12 win team according to the new uh 17 game schedule you know that's like a 12 and 5 team that's a playoff team he's been really good um he's had these injury problems so maybe if he can actually get through some games maybe you can get an Alex Smith type of situation where you can rehabilitate him and then send him off the next year do you think there's any chance that Garoppolo sticks yeah it's definitely non-zero I mean the 49ers one thing that the, I forgot you're a Niners fan also <laughs> 
Chargers. No, I mean, uh, I grew up a Niners fan, but you know, the fantasy industry has kind of just like removed me from like liking anything. Okay. <laughs> being exposed to every fan base ruined being a part of a fan base for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, yeah you get the worst representations of fandom for sure. Of being, being on Twitter. Um, yeah. I actually, when they went to the Super Bowl too, it was confirmed because I actually felt nothing uh, at all, and I knew it was confirmed. <laughs> I was completely yeah. dead inside. Uh, but it's definitely non-zero because the way that, what the 49ers have done it, uh, in recent years, especially with Parag Marathi, uh, uh, they, they structure their contracts so uniquely compared to the rest of the NFL. Uh, you know, and Garoppolo is like this wide open, like, outcome this year. So if he yeah. stays, he's 26.4 million under the cap, uh, uh, on the cap, which isn't a big deal. You just keep him for a year and whatever. Um, but he basically, you know, uh, would only be 2.8 million in dead money to trade. He has a no trade clause, but if you were to say, Hey, this team's going to make you a starter, like Jimmy Grapple would probably be like, yeah, I'm going to start. I'm going to go start with some place that wants me. And right. I'm part of a long, I have a chance to make it like be part of a long-term process. Um, I, I don't think that that's like a big hurdle and no trade clause. Um, but the, the unique contract structure, like really is kind of an open book here. Um, and you know, the, the, the cap hit this year isn't a big deal, like, cause it's, it's already money you're, you're counting on. Um, but, uh, the question is if they, if they do start him and go into the season, how long does he last? Right. If he ends up playing like he did against the last time we saw him on the field against Seattle or like against Miami, uh, you know, when he came back from that ankle injury, that guy's not going to last long. Like he, he's just not going to be on the field long. And there's, and when you take these rookie quarterbacks, there's a reason why these rookie quarterbacks play more and more now than ever is because there's just consistent pressure to turn the leaf over. Well, what's yeah. the next thing, you know, and if you're playing around 500 football, then the 49ers drop a couple games. The schedule's not out yet. So we don't know like how the early season schedule outlook lies, but you know, if they start, you know, two and three or two and four or three and three, like there's going to be heat on saying, Hey, we're, we're playing around a 500 ball. We've got this guy. We traded three first round picks for, we took him at pick three. Like it's time, like it's time to take a look. And there's just going to be that constant pressure. And I don't know if Garoppolo is good enough to play himself uh, above that station. Like they did two years ago, because one, the defense was just insane that year. And it was something we can't count on happening, especially with this current defensive roster. That's nowhere near as good as that roster was a couple years ago, even though they are still a competitive team, we don't expect them to be a bottom dwelling team that deserved to be picking where they were, which was, you know, at pick 12 and then traded up for pick three. But I just don't believe that Garoppolo is the kind of talent that's going to outkick that coverage again. I think that that was kind of a, a perfect storm two years ago. Uh, uh, and that he's kind of like, you know, a baseline ab- above baseline starter uh, in the NFL. He hasn't even played a full season in the NFL or one so far in the, in the NFL. Um, so I just don't think he'll be able to really keep a guy off the field. It's definitely non-zero, but uh, I think right now, like you said, it's all posturing. It's kind of what they honestly get. Cause he's clearly not part of their long-term plan. Right. Well, yeah, that that's obvious. I mean, you, yeah, you don't trade up to three. If you're not part, if, if you're part of the long-term plan, I think that's true. I mean, the reason, okay, another reason why I'm thinking, okay, I agree with you that if things go sideways, they're going to make a move. But I think people kind of underappreciate how much that variable plays into things because you'll mm-hmm. see things, you'll say, oh, this guy is NFL ready, this guy is not NFL ready. Um, you know, they're going to hold them out or not. What's really going to determine more than anything is, yeah, there's definitely like a camp thing and they see how they look. But a lot of the times these decisions are made before they even see them at all. I mean, think about Joe Burrow last year. I mean, they had nobody there. So they were going to play him day one, whether he came in or not. Obviously, we had the virtual thing, so it was a little bit different. But a lot of times the big variable is if the team is going sideways, if they're losing games, then they bring in the guy. And obviously they're getting 
you know, information and evidence on whether or not a quarterback is ready. But I mean, how good are these guys at assessing whether someone's ready or not? Justin Herbert was not ready until Tyrod Taylor got got stabbed. He got Caesared, and then they brought and then they brought in Justin Herbert. Uh, Deshaun Watson was not ready. Um, and they had, right. you know, w- 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 there, even you even had DeAndre Hopkins c- saying w- they, he didn't want him to be the starter from what they had seen there. And he was kind of brought in um, midway after all this declaration that he was not going to play. They were going to you know, they were going to go with um, his name is escaping me. Right. Tom Savage. And, you know, midway through the first half, they're like, oh, we're, we're done with this. Like this is this is over immediately. And they forced their hand there. So I do think there's an element of at least San Francisco's in a better than typical spot for a quarterback to survive purely off of winning games, whether he's mm-hmm. playing excellent ball or not. And, you know, Debo Samuels now in his third season, Ayuk's coming into his second season. You got George Kittle, you got Trent Williams there. You have a decent team like, ah, you know, they got some decent surroundings there. So there, there may be enough to keep Garoppolo afloat for a little bit longer than than some people think. Um, but that kind of presumes that, that he'll be around there. So I think that's that, that's interesting. Let, let's let's flip to Carolina for a second. So, how much do we care about this from Carolina's perspective? Uh, not only whether Sam Darnold will be any good, which is highly questionable, but what this means for you know Robbie Anderson, for DJ Moore, maybe for Christian McCaffrey. I don't know if it really affects Christian McCaffrey uh, that much there. For those guys there. Um, not that Bridgewater was good, but he started off kind of hot, actually, I mean, for Bridgewater. And then they they really limped in at the end of the season. I think that's when they just determined they need to make a change. So do we care about this this change that much outside of, uh, you know, what it could potentially mean for, for Sam Darnold just being an unknown in a new circumstance? I mean, Carolina was a top 10 offense at DVOA basically for two-thirds of the season. And like you said, yeah. it just really came off the rails uh, to kind of close. <laughs> I think that's what yeah. kind of, you know, forced uh, the hand. And Teddy got hurt, too, at the end of the season, too. So, I mean, um, it's re- this is a really weird. I've, 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 like, really kicked a lot of ideas around this. It's a really weird trade. Uh, there are really weird parameters around this trade. You know, so on one hand, if, if the Carolina makes this trade because the staff – was really into Sam Darnold. Uh, they think, you know, Adam Gase is basically, you know, clown shoes, couldn't figure out how to develop, you know, a quarterback. Uh, there's kind of a benefit of the doubt to give them some optimism. You know, obviously the argument to make for Darnold is going to be easy. People are going to say Mike Davis, uh, Robbie Anderson, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, they all these guys had a thousand yards his first year in this offense, where there's no off season. Uh, you know, Joe Brady can spin gold. Uh, they can turn this around. And then people will say, well, Ryan Tannehill did even though Ryan Tannehill was actually better than anything Sam Darnold has shown. Even Blake Bortles was better than anything Sam Darnold has shown uh, to date over his first three years. But that, it's going to be real easy. The, the spin forward is easy. Now, if they made this trade just because, like, David Tepper has no patience, uh, he demanded that they have to go out and get a new quarterback. Remember, they were in on the Matthew Stafford deal. Uh, the coaches really didn't like their draft options, didn't think they'd be uh, have someone they liked at eight after the 49ers trade up. And they're kind of just like, forced into this Darnold trade from Tepper's end, then that's probably a problem. Right. Uh, you know, you pick, you have to pick up the fifth year based on what you get. You know, I honest people saw this as like a, a low risk move and a high reward. I don't really see it that way. I mean, you're, you're, you're counting on Sam Darnold to be good in 2021 based on this trade. Like you're, yes. you're there's no competition. You, you make this trade. He is the starting quarterback uh, based on you picking up the fifth year option, what you gave up and you're counting him to be good. I mean, what, what if you're back in the same boat next year and it's just you're doing the same thing with Darnold you did with Teddy this year, it, and you and now you lose a top forty pick. 
because assuming you're back in the similar similar boat. Uh, very peculiar trade uh, because I'm one of these people. I don't know where you come out, but like I just don't think the Ryan Tannehill turnarounds, the Josh Allen turnarounds are going to be as commonplace as everyone is just assuming they are. We're starting to see a lot of people compare Daniel Jones's situation to Josh Allen's, you know, after they signed Kenny Galladay. I just don't really buy that, like, it's just going to, we're going to see a lot of these quarterbacks just immediately flip the switch. And when you look at Darnold last year, yeah, he, you know, he hasn't had weapons over his rookie contract. Uh, He was saddled with Adam Gase, but from a clean pocket last year, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, yeah. You know, from a clean pocket, only two other – he had negative EPA from a clean pocket. Only Nick Foles and Dwayne Haskins were with him. And then from a yards per attempt perspective from a clean pocket, he was ahead of only Mike Glennon and Nick Foles. Like, on the same token, Sam Darnold has literally shown us, like, no reason for optimism outside of, like, a couple plays. Like, there's been no consistency. Um, it's it's hard to grasp. Like, could there be a turnaround? Am I still open to the – to being optimistic, yeah, I'm pretty pragmatic. Uh, uh, you know, Carolina's got some pieces I like. I like DJ Moore. I think Robbie Anderson's a solid, you know, ancillary player. Obviously, they've got Christian McCaffrey. I kind of like like the coaching staff. You know, that's TBD, but I like what Joe Brady's resume has on it so far. So yeah, I'm a little optimistic. I just think it's a really weird trade. I think it's really weird that it's just be starting to become commonplace that all these guys are going to turn it around, even though we've just seen you know Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins be completely sunk cost, but everyone's still looking for the pie in the sky. Um, very very weird and I haven't really wrapped my head about like a firm stance on it yeah so okay so I think from I've heard some perspective saying Teddy Bridgewater is a better quarterback than Sam Darnold and now your opinion on the Panthers is lower maybe than it would have been I've heard that I've heard that take and yeah I mean I guess there's again I feel like there's another like range of outcomes type of situation Mm -hmm. maybe your median projection is that they're worse with Sam Darnold I think that's fair if you want to do that I think that's fair there's just more unknown to Sam Darnold than there is to Teddy Bridgewater. And, I, I, and then I've heard some people um, rebut that by saying Sam Darnold has thrown more passes in his career than Teddy Bridgewater has. Yeah, but it's just like over many years. And you can say with the physical skills, I think there's some limitations to Bridgewater that are fairly obvious, right? Um, and even play, if you go all the way back to draft position, I mean, Darnold was probably like in a lot of people's minds a number one overall pick type of guy. Although, in the comparison to Josh Allen, I think the big thing that sticks out to me is, like, there's no thing about Sam Darnold from a physical standpoint that's close to Josh Allen. Like, he's, oh. he's, he's big, but he's not as big as Josh Allen. He's not slow, but he's not, like, fast like Josh Allen. He, he has... He doesn't have that great of an arm, quite quite honestly. Like, I never... He never and then Josh Allen obviously has this cannon and in, in, in what he can do there. Um, so I think there, like that kind of really kills the Josh Allen type of c- comparison going forward. And then the Tannehill type of comparison. What's interesting about Tannehill is he actually graded pretty well from PFF. He was one of these guys yeah. who had a vast like divergence. The biggest divergence we've seen. I think Baker Mayfield was close um, his first couple seasons. But the biggest divergence PFF has had between grades and efficiency on an EPA per play perspective or per drop-back perspective was Ryan Tannehill. So – there was something there. Sam Darnold has just been bad. Like grades, uh, I think he's. I think he's been like the. There's only the only quarterbacks been worse than him over over the last couple of seasons. Or like Dwayne Haskins maybe is the only guy who's been who's been worse than him if you look for over the last three, three, few years. And yeah, there just haven't been any flashes. I mean, I would say week one, 2018, his first game was probably like his peak. I think he peaked against the Detroit Lions that game where he threw a few touchdowns and people were talking about him. So we haven't seen much much since then. Um, 
what do you think about this idea of them maybe drafting a quarterback with and then you know because it's weird because them making this move would make you think that they don't think the quarterback who they want is going to be available or else why make this move right now unless you're scared someone else is going to go in there and get Sam Darnold I guess before the draft yeah, I mean, we talked about last time I was on the show, you know, a few weeks ago, we had talked about the Dolphins being a situation. And I'm right. on your side on this on this conversation, just <laughs> until we see teams do it, like it's, you know, minds are still going to be blown and there'll be a resistance. But like, you could take a top quarterback prospect and you're not in a position to kind of, you know, win in the NFL right now, like just take the quarterback. They're right. assets, yeah. they're their currency, you know, their currency, uh, you know, and if I'm the Panthers and I'm there at eight and like even Trey Lance is there and, He's maybe not. I'm still just going to take him. I'm just going to take him because you're what is what can Carolina take at pick eight that is going to even like move the needle for you to say like they've one got a legitimate shot to even make the playoffs or like really actually be a contender instead of yeah. just backdooring the playoffs. There isn't one. So why not just take the currency and you've got you know, you've got this in your pocket. If Darnold flames one, you can just play the kid. Uh, and then you you know if Darnold is good, you have options you have options to, to, to maneuver you know your personnel so yeah. i mean i'm on your side in that argument and i wish we would see more teams be aggressive and do it i mean even the dolphins at six they only moved three spots down obviously they moved to 12 and then back up but it's like man they still should take a quarterback if one's there i mean it's just not going to happen uh and i think carolina has given us a signal that they're not going to take a quarterback and they'll probably be in on one of these offensive linemen that are for sure going to slide now because even if the Bengals take two at five you probably have slater there at eight uh, the offensive line was horrendous. They've kind of just been, and they've been all over the offensive line mark this offseason, just signing guys the one year deals like that aren't really particularly really good offensive linemen. Um, so I think that's the early signal, but I'm totally on your side of this argument. I would love to see teams treat. I know we have like the fantasy background. It's easier for us to say stuff like that. And we are, we're not in a window where like we have to start stacking wins, but like if you are not a team that's going to win like Carolina, they're not a contender, at least in my mind, I'm sure you probably are not far off from that either. Like just stack assets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that makes the most sense. Well, I, I think the, the fundamental problem with uh, the, the viewpoint against getting another quarterback, I mean, there's a, there's the ridiculous stuff about, you know, uh, chemistry. Uh, you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Uh, you're, you're giving up on the first quarterback I mean, if you could, if you can play it and not give up on the first guy, that it depends on who it is. But I mean, people hold on to hope too long for that first quarterback, so that's that's one of the big problems. But the second big problem, I think, it's just like it's okay to waste sometimes, you know. Like you're locking in waste, and I think people don't like that. People don't like to say, now, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you get, well, you're actually you're not necessarily locking in waste, but people think you're locking in waste, right? They think you're you're, you're duplicating. You don't need this as position. Um, it's the same thing with with wasting money on someone. It's just like teams waste a ton of money. All the time. Look at the dead money that's going off of the boards on all these different teams. Team waste draft picks. Teams waste top 10 draft picks. Not because they make a stupid move, but they just bust. Like, these guys bust. So why not, like, use the draft pick on someone where the upside is so, so huge? Because guess what? The guy you're going to take, you know, I know you're going to say to yourself, oh, we're taking, you're taking Penny Sewell. We're taking, um, you know, whoever else made Jamar Chase. Those guys could bust. Like, these guys bust all the time in, in that sort of range. So you're not guaranteed to fit these pieces together. And it's just, you have to be willing to say, um, we, can, we can waste a little bit. But it's like wasting in a smart way because teams waste in dumb ways all the time. And no one seems to be worried about yeah. it because there was this potential to fit all these pieces together in wasting in a dumb way. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm uh, you're preaching to the choir here. I'm 100% bored uh, on board with like this take and, and this approach. Uh, I would love to see some teams really start to deploy it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. But we'll, we'll see. I think the the Darnold thing is also funny. I mean, if they bring in a quarterback, if they do draft a quarterback and he gets to play and he looks okay, then I think everything will be fine. But you're right, man. If this Darnold thing goes sideways. Man, it's gonna be a rough offseason because you're gonna be you're gonna be talking about that second round pick, which will be in the 30s that you lost. You're gonna be talking about that twenty eighteen point eight million dollars you have guaranteed to Sam Darnold next year. You're gonna be talking about all those things, and it's gonna be it's gonna be like that's when everyone starts coming after each other. That's when Tepper and Rule, who were like symbiotic, lost at birth, uh, identical twins, are gonna come after e- each other um, next offseason. Well, we'll see how it, how it plays out. All right, let's yeah. get into these rookies. Let's get into these rookie running backs. Um, I looked through your pre kind of pro day rankings. Uh, it's an interesting class. Do you, okay, let's talk a little bit about process here. When, when you're putting those together, now that we have the pro day stuff, number one, how much does the measurables, let's call it, uh, pro day stuff, um, for running backs, maybe we can also say age, whether they're underclassmen, I'll kind of throw that into the same kind of measurable bucket because it's not something based on contextual pr- production performance. And then you have production. And then the third big thing I'll say is like expected draft position. How are we looking at those three buckets when you're assessing this class or just running backs generally? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I'm still, you know, pr- production driven first, but I'm using the athletic profiles, you know, a lot of the correlation chasers like there as a one off, like there is no combine metric that one off signals fantasy points. There right. just really isn't. But I mean, I'm still looking for like, a, you know, an accumulation, you know, my home cook spark score. I'm sure you have one too. Uh, kind of athletic grade. You know, mine personally is like, you know, all weight adjusted, you know, speed, agility, explosion. But it doesn't really factor into the actual prospect grade a ton. It's very minuscule. Um, what I'm what I use the athletic profiles, the combine and the pro days for is to kind of confirm archetype. Because right. I'm a big archetype guy. We talk about all the time at wide receiver. I know you've just written an article on Elijah Moore and the and the profile that he has. I'm very big in the same way because uh, archetypes predict usage and then in turn usage predicts fantasy points. And I'm looking for kind of the symmetry. I'm looking for stuff that is an outlier or stuff that confirms what I already thought on guys like, like a Kenneth Gainwell, uh, things like that um, from the athletic side. Uh, and then if something pops, I want to go back and, and say like, oh, I need to go back and look at this, like a guy like Nico Collins, uh, who's, who isn't a running back, but you know, whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm using these pro days and combines for, kind of just to confirm archetypes. Uh, but draft capital is really the thing that matters the most. I mean, draft capital is literally the only thing at the running back position that has like literally any correlation to like year one through three fantasy points. Um, and it's not like the greatest, but like it significantly outweighs anything else. So, I mean, we're really just kind of waiting to see kind of what we've, what we've got on the board here. Um, but I do like to reference like my pre-draft grades. I mean, last year, like my model, like James Robinson more than Clyde Edwards Lair. Now I'm not going to rank James Robinson over Clyde Edwards Lair like post-draft. Absolutely not. But because because my model liked him a lot, yeah, I just like took some shots in like the fifth round, like fourth round, fifth round rookie drafts, just like what the hell my model liked him. I'll just see what happens. And you know, that pays off. Now that's a, a, a pie in the sky outcome that played out. It doesn't always go like that. You know, when I throw these late round darts, um, but you know, uh, I like to go back and reference, you know, kind of the grades this year, obviously from a grade perspective, it's not, it's not great. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot here. <laughs> Uh, to really like at the top obviously we've got the top three guys there are some ancillary guys that do kind of show up but then there are they come with either red flags the thing about this class is we just don't know like really where the hell any of these guys are going to go 
Like, yeah. like last year we had a pretty good feel. Like we've got this bucket of guys there that even if the NFL suppresses the value of running backs and we've had such a really strong influx of running back talent over the past five years that there are kind of more good running backs than there are jobs in the NFL. Um, we still knew that that like that bucket of prospects was strong and was going to go even by being depressed, like in like the 30 to like 60 range, you know, we kind of knew yeah. like those guys were going to go there this year. We've got three guys that we kind of feel are going to go into that bucket. Maybe someone squeezes and, and goes a little higher because it's thinner at the top than it was last year. There's not as much supply as there's, you know, demand for some of these teams. Like if you're a team like the Steelers and you're like, we have to have a running back, but if you don't take one at 24, like you might not have one at 55 because there's only three guys really. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so, I mean, like we, we were really kind of sketchy on that afterwards, like where you might like pick out whatever flavor guy you like, you might like Trey Sermon, you like, might, might like Michael Carter, you might like Kenneth Gainwell, you might like Khalil Herbert, whatever those guys could go anywhere. Like there's really no kind of surface area to kind of expectations for those guys. Yeah. Uh, Sermon could be a third rounder. He could be a fifth rounder. Like, like there, you wouldn't blink, right? Like if Sermon went in the fifth round, like you wouldn't blink. Uh, no. So it's kind of a weird class in that regard where um, the secondary kind of tiers are kind of scattershot. We kind of want to see where the draft capital, the investment is. Uh, I don't really care much as about like landing spot initially, like some do. I care more about the capital um, because we tend to overrate landing spots. There's just too much fluidity in, in landing spots in the NFL. Uh, yeah. I think to accurately portray from a fantasy stance of being able to, from a projection stance, uh, tend not to get caught up into that wake too much. Remember we, people did it with Keyshawn Vaughn last year, really hard, really hard to, to be consistent. He's breaking out this year though, according to, you know, I mean, Bruce Arians. Arians told us, I heard Trey Quan is breaking out for the fifth year in a row too, from Saints brass. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, this class is really unique on the secondary levels because we want to see the investment kind of the, where these guys go. And then it's a weird, a weird archetype class in general. I mean, even these high guys, I brought up Kenneth Gainwell, I brought up Michael Carter. Uh, these are not guys that project to be kind of high touch NFL players uh, on any level. Um, and I finally bit the bullet and moved Trey Sermon up in my rankings, even though I think there's a real gap between the top three and the RB4. But just because when I look at Kenneth Gainwell and Michael Carter's profiles, it just screams committee back uh, yeah. at the NFL level. And we can get into some, kind of some of the semantics of each individual prospect if you want but top down that's kind of where i'm at <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think th- it remind. it's not exactly i mean i think the wide receiver class has a lot more talent but the, the things that are parallels to me is that the college game has moved in a certain direction right so you have a lot of wide receivers where you're going to say someone like an elijah moore who everyone loves and then you could say well yeah he's got the speed he's got the quickness and that but then Look at these other guys you may be able to get later, like a Jalen Darden or a Shai mm-hmm. Smith or a um, Dwayne Eskridge or one of these guys. You can say, you know, there's like these substitutes. And I think that comes true of the, this running back class, too, is that you have the game has moved in a certain direction. Um, you don't you have these guys who are, let's say, between 100 and sometimes 190, sometimes sometimes lower, but more like 195, let's say, to 210. They don't quite get over 210, which is maybe when things get interesting. And. But they're productive. They can catch the ball. They're they're valuable, I think, from an NFL perspective. But from a fantasy perspective, it's you, you start to comp these guys to what we've seen in the past, and it's just a little bit like DOA. It's just like you, you just don't. What are they going to do going forward if they if they don't really have a profile of being being that committee back? What they're really most likely to do is get in a situation where. You've seen with some smaller backs in the past, whether it's been like a Justin Forsett or a Mod Bradshaw or 
um, one of these other later guys, Leon Washington, maybe some of these guys, where you like you, they get a chance for a while and they can produce even if they're small because it doesn't matter maybe as much as some people think. But it's not a long standing sort of thing where they're going to be that, that that sort that guy. So I feel like that's that's where this falls in. And I, I think from an NFL team's perspective, obviously you know running backs don't matter, everything like that, right? That that plays into it, but. Can't you just piece together backfields with some of these guys that are a little bit discounted and maybe they don't, maybe they weigh 10 pounds less than some of these other guys, but like you're going to use a second round pick on someone versus a fifth round pick on someone. It just seems nuts in some ways on how they can produce. So I guess that would be my take is like, why not build like a, like, like I feel like Aaron Jones is a great example of somebody where you know, he, he didn't really fit the – he wasn't really big enough probably to be that kind of workhorse t- sort of back. They never really used him like a super workhorse. But you combine him, you you sprinkle in some Jamal Williams, mm-hmm. some other stuff. You can build that together. Um, now you pay him again, which is maybe a, a mistake going forward. But, like, I like piecing that together as a guy who I believe – Jones is a fifth-round pick, right? So, you got like, you can get him very, very late in, in the draft. So, but anyway, let, let's let's get into it. So, I, was, I assume the top three guys that you have are going to be the top three that everyone has – um, is 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 Najee Harris your number one guy? He is. Uh, just checks too many boxes outside of you know the, the red flags for Najee Harris are obviously going to be pounded home that you know not early declare uh, an older prospect, but I think some of that is when you kind of dig under the hood circumstantially actually made a benefit of him. I definitely yeah. believe that he's regarded higher in this draft class than he would have been if he came out last year. I think he did play his cards right. Um, and then from like an on-field perspective, and obviously too, you combine too, he went to Alabama, played behind Josh Jacobs for a stretch. Uh, obviously they've just cranked out, it's cranked out running back at the running back at the university. Um, but then when you look at a guy that's that big and then has the receiving profile that he has, it, those guys don't really come around uh, very often. A guy that's, you know, 230 pounds, you know, interesting. You say, well, if, man, he's 263, 230 pounds. We just easily draw the corollary of the line to Derrick Henry previously, but the, the receiving profile for Najee Harris is just so sensational. I mean, he has more receptions in his final collegiate season for back over 225 pounds than anyone but Saquon Barkley and Steven Jackson since 2000. Uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to get a guy that is j- just checks all those boxes, can play all three downs. And from a, from a fantasy stance, what I mean, you know, and in an NFL, am I getting this excited? No. Uh, but from a fantasy stance, I, I know he's going to go on carries. He can catch the ball and he can be a high workload back. Even if he's not efficient, like all those things add up to being a good fantasy running back. Um, so that's kind of where I, it's hard for me to move off of him. Uh, he does like because of his weird profile, because a lot of players that look like Najee Harris just go pro before the yeah. point that Najee Harris has gone pro. So all of his comps are kind of weird and older comps because it's before like early declares were really part of the process. And then you add that receiving profile in. Uh, he does come up with a lot of weird comps that are more throwback comps and not as more recent than you see for some of these other backs in this class. Uh, but I do believe that Najee Harris pl- actually did play his cards right. And it's always hard to knock these guys from a, uh, our perspective for going back to school because we don't know why they go back to school and then you had this weird COVID situation but uh I do think that he actually did play his situation correctly returning to school and I believe he'll have higher draft capital in this class than he would have a year ago yeah so for for Harris it's interesting because um you're right that his if you bring age into the equation it kind of skews the comps when I'm looking at some of these comps mm-hmm. like like I started getting some guys like like Daniel Thomas or something, or someone like that, who may be part of that that bucket. I had like Toby Gerhardt was in there. Yeah, Gerhardt. Uh. Well, I mean, well, this is what it comes into. This is maybe a question I should ask. Like, we don't have the pro day stuff, right? So, 
Gerhardt, like he's a he's a negative, but the dude was like a, mm-hmm. pretty freakish, right? He ran like a like a like a four or five flat or something like that, I think, at two hundred and thirty something pounds. So he was he he was a big dude. We don't really know for Harris what he runs. Does that matter to you at all? Not really, like I said, because uh, I know what kind of arc. I'm pretty confirmed on what kind of archetype back he is based yeah. on his production and size, and that's really all I care about uh, for these backs from a physical stance. Um, about Arctic, like take like a Ramondre Stevenson, like who's a, a similar uh, physical profile back, you know, 6'1", 227, but has like really no receiving pedigree, uh, you know, is not a great athlete that like, to me, that signals like he's probably locked into being like an early down banger could be a goal line guy as a threat, but like, you need that specific archetype of player for fantasy to run into scoring situations. He's not going to probably catch a lot of passes where Harris immediately has that out uh, in comparison to him. Uh, without even knowing his physical profile, we know he can catch the football and and has that kind of you know acumen on his resume. Where Stevenson yeah, yeah. is like in the Jordan Howard corollary, where it's like we have to run into this specific outcome every week to get fantasy points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I plug everything in there, um, I mean, I'm just still guessing that he's 230, and I'm just like guessing he's going to be. He did weigh in at the Senior Bowl, at least. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm just guessing he's going to be like a four or five five, maybe maybe even a little bit higher than that sort of guy. Um, yeah, he looks pretty good. I mean, is it this weird thing with Alabama where he doesn't get a chance to get like your 25 carries a game? Cause they just don't, you know, it's just hard when, when you're there to really, to really be that sort of guy, but the receiving work, like you mentioned, I mean, I have his share of receptions, uh, for the games that he played, I guess his last year, uh, over 13%, which is pretty elite. So kind of looking at other guys, I mean, he does kind of comp to like a Trent Richardson, quite honestly, if he's not a number three mm-hmm. overall pick type of guy. But Again, we're guy. comparing the guy to the prospect though. Yeah, too, like. yeah, exactly. But that, that's another <laughs> problem with prospect comps, period. You have two different problems. Number one, mm-hmm. you prompt, you, 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 you comp a guy to a great prospect who failed and people are upset about it. Um, and then if you have another guy who's a little bit later, the guys you're going to comp them to are just not going to be exciting, right? They're just not going to be exciting mm-hmm. even if they're accurate. So everyone wants you to comp. Like I had this thing where recently I did this piece on, on Nico Collins who you mentioned earlier, and I had this long list of comps. Now his top comp was Miles Boykin, right? And later on in his comps, stretching it a lot, you know, from a from a speed perspective, where like DK Metcalf and some other guys started to show up. So when the you know the the the, the tweet went out on it, it's like, oh DK Metcalf cost. <laughs> so it was like, whoa, calm down here, people. What's yeah. what's going on? Because no one wants to see Miles Boykin, right? No one wants to see Miles Boykin. Even yep. though Boykin was like an athletic freak who was taken in the third round, like there was there was something to be excited about, I I would say for for Boykin. But no one wants to see that. So yeah, I think like it, but Richardson was a top five pick, so maybe it's a little bit in a, in a different category, but he is someone who kind of does it all. Um, and you're right. We've, we've kind of gone a long way from some of these older, like, we're at least we're not in the Bishop Sankey sort of number one pick overall. I mean, number one running back pick type of situation. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, this, this, this class generally, you're going to have Harris's world, really the one guy that's going to check all the boxes. Now, if we're going to go for the second guy, for, for Travis Etienne, it's... The big thing for him was, again, for this pro day, because that's all we can really uh, obsess about is what's going on recently, is that he weighed in at 215 pounds. Now, whether or how much we believe that or not, is he going to play at that weight or not? I think those are always questions. But when I was mm-hmm. doing comping based upon that, I mean, it really opened up some a lot better comps when you start putting the 215 in there. I mean, some of them people get upset about that they, they come in there because they're not going to play, you know – People are going to say, oh, well, he's not, you know, I forget who was in there. I think it was uh, like Marshawn Lynch or someone like that came in there. They're like, oh, he's not, you know, he's not Marshawn Lynch. That's that's ridiculous. And we uh, know that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and we know that. But you know, Lynch was like in the in the two thirteen or two two forty. Like he wasn't necessarily weighing in any bigger. Uh, but guys like that start to approach in the profile where maybe it's not really appropriate. So what, did that matter at all to you that he was coming in at, at, at 215 as far as how you view him? And maybe the real problem with him is whether he can be that kind of workhorse sort of guy. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helped him out from like a, you know, a comp perspective. I think one of the biggest surprises of this, you know, period in context of this running back class was ETN being bigger than Javante Williams. Like, no, I think, <laughs> yeah. don't think anyone had a bet on that happening at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and, you know, especially stylistically. And I don't think that they'll play, be used, deployed in a similar capacity um, that, that that dictates out. I think ETN's definitely going to be a guy that's going to be a splash play guy, you know, a lot of outside runs, you know, uh, using the passing game. I mean, one of the, the most explosive playmakers in this class uh, by far, uh, but it did help his comps out a lot. You know, you start to get guys like, you know, Cam Akers and D'Angelo Williams and Donald yeah, Cam Brown. Akers, I another, think was came up first on, on mine when I was doing On that. yours. Yeah. I, I had Donald Brown, uh, D'Angelo Williams, Akers was in the top five, Ontario Smith, Cadillac Williams, because uh, remember, too, he's an also a guy that that went back to school for a senior year and was an older prospect. I don't know if he helped himself out like Najee Harris did. I think he's probably going to have similar draft capital than he would have last year, especially coming off of the three years he had at Clemson prior to last year. But remember, too, Clemson had like a ridiculous amount of offensive linemen leave last year. They had like a bunch of guys go pro. Um but uh, his receiving acumen's too good. I think, like you said, he'll probably play a little lower than what his uh, combine weight was. I believe he got that up to kind of help his draft stock. But, like, he did it. He was successful at doing it, and it worked. So, so I'm not going to knock him on that. Uh, I just think his receiving and splash play upside and his his total resume still gives him the edge for me over Williams. I'm not Donna Williams. If someone has Williams higher, like, I'm not going to push really back on it. Um, I, I think that Williams is fine. But I think that the ATN's – overall resume and receiving profile are just too strong for me to ignore. Uh, and then from a model stance, he just checks out because of those reasons uh, to be, to warrant that uh, wider uh, running back to kind of spot from an upside stance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I was a little pro- subject to this a lot initially looking at Javante Williams as maybe just thinking from watching them play that he was more of that guy that you would mm-hmm. want. Um and it's funny, we have this, we have the stat of like force missed tackles. So they're actually kind of similar on force missed tackles. They're kind of doing it in different ways. I would say um, ETN is like, uh, is really bursting through breaking arm tackles. Sometimes, you know, sometimes lowering the shoulder and doing what he has to do, but not like Williams where you'd have these plays where he's just running through people over and over again. And the, yeah, so the 215 thing, I think that really does boost him up a lot. I figure like ETN's a guy for me where I probably should be higher on him than I am. So like if I was going to take the approach, which is probably the best approach, which is, you know, trust, trust the data, trust what you know, um, I would be I would be pretty high on him and maybe have him like almost close to not like a one B to, to Harris, but close, close to that sort of that sort of area. Um, but I don't know if I can if, if I'm necessarily going to get there uh, with him. And he, he ran pretty well at his pro day. So I thought that was that was all that was all good there. Now for Williams. I assume that's like the one, two, three tier. What, what's your opinion on Williams and has it changed at all as far as where he could be vis-a-vis the other two? Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wrote one of a, a long article at Rotoviz, gosh, this is years ago, about, you know, committee backs in college and how they tend to stay committee backs in the NFL. I, I, I haven't really gone back and revisited it, you know, kind of with these most recent classes. But with Williams coming in basically 15 pounds lighter than what we thought, you know, he was listed at 227. Yeah. And, when he come, and, he, and then he's 212. 
that to me also screams like committee, uh, like t- it could be a potential to oscillate either way, right? He could right. be he, at 212, like you said, he'd be Aaron Jones ish. You can get more workload, maybe not be a, a 350 touch guy, but still be like a 290, 300 touch guy. And that's all we need in fantasy. Uh, he could be in that area, or, you know, he can go the other way and be like a 200 touch guy. Like, and that's what he was in college. And you know, obviously, he played with another back that is coming out in this class, but he was outproduced by Michael Carter, you know, pretty consistently over his, you know, tenure at UNC. So it does bring up a little bit more of a red flag than I think it would have had. Cause I was the same way. I came in the process thinking, all right, well, I'm going to have Harris and Williams is like a mini tier because those are the guys that project to be like three down guys, 220 pound backs that can catch the ball, have scoring opportunities. And then when, you know, him and Etienne have more of a same physical profile, it's like, Hmm, okay. Now, uh, Cause you brought up like, you know, too, about like not knowing what these guys play at, like if you're listed at two twelve or, or two fifteen, like, you know, that's kind of like that strike zone. Like we don't know like what really Aaron Jones is playing every week. What Alvin, if you, if like, I would have told you like Alvin Kamara played at like two Oh eight last year, like, would you even blink? Like you'd be like, no. all right, sure. Yeah. I buy that. Uh, and that's kind of where we are. We're kind of in that where it can swing either direction, but with Williams being more of a committee back in college historically, uh, and then coming out with this physical profile, it doesn't scream to me like Najee Harris does is like locked in just full workhorse guy. Now it still yeah. can happen to be that. I still think that that's in his range of outcomes, but that's a big gap to go from 227 to 212. Like it's not like Etienne going up from like 205 to 215. It's it's a little different. Um, yeah, yeah. But this no, is a guy good. that can catch the ball. We know that NFL teams value the missed tackle metric. I think we're starting to see that in these drafts. Uh, uh, you know, teams really kind of look at that as one of the metrics they kind of uh, really like. Uh, and I think that will help Javante Williams. He was a guy that got a lot of noise early in the process. I think Daniel Jeremiah at one point had him as the first running back taken in the first round. Uh, now I'm not sure we even get a running back in the first round. It will still, it still could happen. Like I said, it's weird because I feel like if one of those late round first teams, like feel like they want to pass, they might not, they might miss out. Like, I think like a team like the Steelers, like they I brought them up. If you have a clear need at running back at 24, there's, I think you and I would both agree there's no reason to take a running back at 24, but they might feel the pressure of if we don't take a guy at 24, he might not be there at 55. And then they, so they do it. Uh, and that, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of where we are, uh, you know, kind of with the, these top three guys. Like we could see one of these guys sneak into that, that back of the first round because the team panics of not being able to wait. Because uh, like the Steelers aren't just going to take a guy in like the fourth round and say like, well, this is our guy. It's it's going to be more of a competition. That guy's going to compete with Anthony McFarlane and Benny Snell and maybe even Jalen Samuels, who they've taken in the fourth and fifth round each of the past three years. Uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, it's really tough to kind of to gauge. I think Javante Williams really kind of put us in a gray area with kind of his physical profile. I'm still high on, you know, his production. He doesn't score negatively. It's just, you know, you get bonuses for being collegiate workhorses. Like I said, I, I did a study on this before where college workhorses tend to be NFL workhorses and committee backs tend to be committee backs. It's something that really doesn't change. Uh, the Alabama guy, uh, Josh Jacobs, is really the only exception, you know, kind of recently. Now, I, I, we don't really have enough of a sample probably to really build this into a model, but I think we can say if you're in a committee, it's better to be in a committee with another back who could go in the third round. We're talking about Michael Carter here. I mean, could go in the fifth round. Who knows? It's a target right? share but, argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like this, it's a similar <laughs> sort of argument. I think it's – I like the target share argument – like I think it's stronger there for for like for, for for making an adjustment based upon that. 
um, but it's there, right? So, the, so you, there is something to that that you could that you could build into. But yeah, the, the weight thing is interesting. When I was comping him, I mean, I think you also had Carry On Johnson as being like a top comp for, <laughs> and everyone's gonna love that, right? Everyone's oh, everyone hated. Like, uh, everyone was like just destroying me. <laughs> yeah, so like he comes up as a top comp, t- top comp for me using like traditional stats when. When you look at like force missed tackles, Johnson's nowhere close to Williams. And Williams is a guy who he's pretty high, like on our big board, our NFL draft big board, not fantasy big board. Williams is second above Harris because he just grades so damn well because he breaks tackles. And I feel like tackle breaking was something where I don't know, like it might be overvalued at this point because it is the one thing you can attribute to the running back more so than. Um, you know, because the offensive line plays into it, they have the defense, the formations, everything else plays into it. But when a running back breaks a tackle, you could say that's on them more than other other guys. Uh, I think it, it has there has been some some guys who've jumped out of nowhere, like a Kareem Hunt, who probably is a lot better than people thought based upon that. But people are starting to catch up to it, and that's why he rates so highly from our grading and from our perspective there. But yeah, with this lower weight, when I'm building together comps, you know, other guys start to show up who were probably seen as being bigger, but weren't really bigger. Like Mark Ingram shows up in there. He was, who was two fifteen. Um, but you also like Clyde Edwards Hilaire can fall in there. now. He's only two Oh seven because he's not that really that, that far away. Um, I also got I no had Trey Mar- Mason, like Trey Mason was in, yeah. in the mix. No, 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 no. Sean Moreno went way earlier, but it was 2009. So maybe he's a guy who would have gone a lot later, but I thought he was an interesting type of comp. I mean, we don't really mm-hmm. know what he would have been at the NFL level if he didn't have some injuries. And of course he was able to produce with Peyton Manning, like, you know, maybe, maybe anyone could produce with, with Peyton Manning, but he's he gave us one of the all... best memes still too, as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, The, the fate, well, the, 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 the tier, the tier <laughs> memes said they're coming through there. So maybe he's a guy in there, but yeah, I'm definitely a lot less excited. And I do think for, for Williams, I don't know. I, I'm gonna. I'm still gonna lean a little bit on the fact that his play style means maybe he can be that that mm-hmm. that back and and not necessarily read too much into into the weight here. Um, yeah, I think okay. like you, I'm not. I don't. I don't want that to sound like I was down on him either. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You say, you say carry on Johnson. You're gonna be. That's why. Even according to these comps, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna say no Sean Moreno instead of carry on Johnson because I don't want to have to hear the, the 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 hate basically the hate mail coming out on that one. Uh, okay, so going into the this is this is the question here is now we're past the big three, which I think everyone has there. Who is next? Now you could probably like just jumble jumble up a few guys and throw it in the air and pick out one, and it's not like we're going to have super strong opinions on there. But you you, you got to stand somewhere on who the next mm-hmm. guy is. So who do you have as the as the fourth running back? I elevated Trey Sermon to that spot based on we talked about a lot and the theme is archetypes. And when I compare him to just some of the other guys, I believe that his profile kind of signals more fantasy upside than the other guys. If you were to get it, because we're in this strike zone anyways here, we're like, we're expecting, we're, we're, we're putting the red flags baked into these guys already. Yeah. So we don't need to harp on the negatives for these guys. But I think when you look at from like a positive outcome stance, like he's probably the, has the, the highest fantasy ceiling, I believe out of the next guys um, of that tier of Gainwell and Michael Carter, who I believe look like just solely committee backs in the NFL. Uh, whereas Sermon, like you can say in this in a specific outcome, he could 
kind of be a three down player. One thing I like to go back to with all these prospects at any position is kind of go back and look to where were they regarded coming out of high school. And, uh, you know, Trey Sermon was a guy that was just like an insane recruit out of high school. You know, he had offers from Alabama and Auburn, like, uh, you know, before he went to Oklahoma, uh, he gets hurt, kind of falls behind. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson has to, you know, the transfer, then like the Ohio State is kind of at the beginning of this season, they're playing Master Teague a little bit more. And then Master Teague is out and they have to turn to him. Like he just goes bonkers when everyone's watching the games. You know, the Big Ten title game, he just goes absolutely insane against Northwestern. He crushes against Clemson and he gets hurt right away in the Alabama game. So we didn't get to see him. But when everyone was watching Trey Sermon, he played his best football. I think that definitely elevated his stock. But being 215 pounds, six foot, uh, I don't care that he like he ran slow because that's like he's big. But then you look at like his explosion and agility marks, like those stand out to me. Um, and so like I just believe from a ceiling stance, he kind of offers the most of having the, the the most three down upside out of the next tier of guys. Yeah, I mean, again, when I was doing some of the comp work on him, I mean, so his 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 problem is going to be he doesn't really have like the production. So if you're none, gonna, like really at all. Yeah. So if you're going to lean on production heavily, my then, model hates him. Yeah, that, 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 that's the question, right? So model-based stuff, we're not going to like them too much. Finally, the 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out with 150-player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April when your team is on the clock. You can get it with an Edge or Elite subscription. Use promo code SUPERBOWL25 and get 25% off those subscriptions. And that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription, which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code SUPERBOWL25. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, Life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser. Products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> I mean, um, it almost it's like one of one of the most interesting. It's like it's amazing how much hype this guy has. When I when I uh, without without jiggering anything around, when I threw it in there, uh, Christine Michael came out as his top comp um, th- that he had, which is another guy where he never really got more than like 15, 16 carries a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a little bit bigger at 220. He was a little bit faster, but similar explosion. I mean, he had a ridiculous vert, but similar broad, uh, similar three cone also too. Both these guys tested really well at the three cone. So kind of an athletic guy who wasn't super fast. So that that falls in there. The rest of his comps, I mean, it's just a lot of guys who were drafted later because of the fact that they didn't really have that much, that much production. I mean, a guy who was drafted earlier was someone like a Sony Michelle, but even even that was like a committee back sort of situation there, and he's probably used a little bit more in the passing game, despite the fact that he's been totally absent from that as as a pro. So yeah, I can see Sermon, but I can also see the argument for um, maybe some red flags, especially from you know the the analytical crowd. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I said my model my model has him like RB fifteen sixteen in that area <laughs> uh, because like you said there's just no production. There's no production yeah. to latch onto. Uh, and you know, we, we talk about all the time, like production, production in college is a signal for production in the NFL. Uh, yeah, I had guys like Cameron Artis Payne, uh, Chris Carson, Alfred Morris, Jonathan Williams from Arkansas, who some people like liked at the time, uh, came up in like his comps. Yeah. Just not a lot of production committee backs. 
uh, same boat. But I think when I compare him to, like I said, the secondary tier of guys, I can talk myself into an outcome where he's more of a feature back than some of these other guys. Yeah, but that, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And you're right that he has this Ohio State um, prospect, great prospect type of resume there. And people still care about that stuff. Uh, well, so we'll, we'll, we maybe talk about that with some other prospects later, how much we how much people care about this. All right. So who, who do we have as next? I have Kenneth Gainwell next just because the, I believe that even if he fails as a running back, he's that good of a receiver that like he's still going to have an out in the NFL. Maybe he eventually changes positions. He was recruited as a wide receiver to Memphis. And, you know, Memphis has played a number of these kind of like, you know, all jack of all trade guys and their wide open offense. Tony Pollard, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson of recent years. He's much smaller than those guys, which is the problem. And uh, when you look at his size, and he was a guy too that weighed more than what he was listed as. You know, he went from 190 to 202, where you say that's a big jump, but it still doesn't change his archetype. You know, that yeah, yeah, that was something I was uh, that was that was a big thing for me. Like I, I saw that I was like, oh, okay, two, two, oh, and then I, I put it in. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> it didn't really, it didn't, yeah, it doesn't really it, change. It enough, uh, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, that's the unfortunate part where you know Tony Pollard was two ten at the combine, and Tony Gibson was two twenty eight. Uh, you know, was, was was absolutely you know fit the physical profile you were looking for, especially from. Uh, you know, what else he did at the combine athletically as well. There's a lot more intrigue there. And you say a guy with this physical profile, 228 pounds and catch the ball as this return resume. All right. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'll be a little excited here. Uh, but I think this receiving floor is great. You know, obviously last time we seen him, he caught over 50 balls at Memphis, like I said, recruited as a wide receiver. Um, interesting enough, like his like agility and like explosion numbers are trash. Uh, yeah they're garbage uh and that kind of goes with the weight thing so he's kind of a tweener probably doesn't he might be a positionless player eventually in the nfl um but i'm just counting on the receiving floor but like i said like you brought up with sermon i mean it's really easy to just hone in on the red flags for the rest of these guys it really is but like you said some someone has to go into these slots (laughs) yeah well i mean so so this is the thing i would say i think like gainwell was someone i was I, I thought legitimately potentially RB four, you know, definitely RB five, maybe RB six at, at, at a, at a floor. But then I started thinking about it from a different perspective and it was like, you know, I'm building these comps in here. I'm getting like Isaiah P like Ito Smith, Naeem Hines types of type of guys in here. Um, and it's just like, is there, is there a reason at this point in rookie drafts to say, you know what, like he has a better floor than some other guys, but maybe I should maybe like, fuck it. Like l- l- let's just go for a guy who might have, who might, even if, even if the comps are far, far, few and far between of having a comp who can be very successful, maybe just go for that guy. And again, not worry about wasting the pick. Yeah. So I actually should have probably led with this. Uh, so in my pre-draft, like overall rankings, we talked about the big three. I don't have my RB4 all the way until 20th overall. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, my art, yeah. like I, I, we brought up sermons Mar before I don't have him until in, in non-superflex, this is non-superflex ranks. I don't have him until 20th. So we have the top three guys. And then I just have a massive jump where like, I'm just not interested in these running backs. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah, someone, yeah. and maybe someone in draft capital, you know, breaks the bank and, and can climb over some of these receivers that might slide in draft capital. But from just the, a top down objective perspective heading to this draft, we have a really seismic gap up to where I value these guys. I, we're now in late second round rookie pick territory for me. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's like like how do you want to how do you want to deploy those darts? Because I can see like oh there, there's value in getting someone who can you know spot start and in a PPR league and get get some catches and do other things. Like there's value having that guy on your roster. Um, 
There's also the idea of maybe you're just like, like I said, throwing a dart in a different fashion, and we can. Um, the problem is there aren't a lot of these guys available in this class. You're throwing a dart in a different fashion for a bigger guy who may be able to get you more of the the three down potential, even if it's a, a low probability event. It's something that's within the within the range of outcomes. So let, 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 let's talk about some of these. I think the top five are, are big here. Um, amongst the next few. Is there anyone that really stands out? Maybe maybe not going one by one, but I think Carter's probably another name. Michael Carter's another name there where it fits into a similar sort of bucket. Is there anything about him that's changed your opinion on where he should be ranked? No, not really. I mean, he totally looks top down to be like the, you know, James White, Chase Edmonds, uh, you know, guy in the NFL. Like, a, you yeah. know, a, a committee that can be productive, a solid rushing resume. I mean, that's just what I believe he is, the Duke Johnson type, you know, like that's what I think he's going to be in the NFL. He's probably going to be a guy that has, you know, more more of a receiving profile. He can get – he's one of those guys that has more collegiate carries than he did in the NFL. I totally, totally believe that. Um, probably the most interesting guy for me in like the secondary bucket that I like, but I just have no idea where he's going to be drafted. So I don't have him like super highly ranked as Kylan Hill. Yeah. I think he has the most intriguing profile out of the, these guys. I don't have him higher than Carter and Gainwell. Cause I believe that those guys are just going to have higher draft capital than him. Maybe I'll come out surprised and then I'll be tremendously positive on him, but, uh, I just don't know where the hell he's going to go. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's just, it's all over. The, I don't know, but he was one of the guys I thought throughout the process, like, kept like kind of looking more interesting in this class you know he was you know 510 214 he has a pass catching background you know decent speed score uh real solid explosion score not really great agility score but you know he's got he can catch the football which we like from these guys and then like you said he has that size upside to maybe if he's a fifth round pick and you're 214 pounds you end up breaking out as a tweener you know, we can go in any direction. Whereas when yeah. we brought up Gainwell and Carter, I don't think that there's outside of a team necessity, like opened up through injuries, like a team is going to give him a bunch of touches. Whereas Kylan Hill could be one of those guys that kind of works his way into more touches over the course yeah. of his NFL career. So he's the most interesting guy, I think, of the secondary tier for me. Like I said, I just have no idea where he's going to go. Yeah, I think the problem with, with Gainwell and Carter is like, it's even beyond that. It's like even if there are injuries, he may they may not get mm-hmm. the, the, the live share of the touches. Whereas I feel like Kylan Hill is the guy where with an injury, maybe he could get the lion's share of touches. Like, I still don't think he's, he's just going to be plugged in there type of guy. It's weird. Like, the first comp that I had for him was Mike Davis, and I think that's, like, a perfect example of a guy where everyone's like, you know, he's whatever. He's not a, a top, top pick sort of guy. But if you had to use him and you had to deploy him and you wanted to use the every skill set that he has, then he can be productive. And that's what a lot of these NFL running backs running backs are. So that's why I, I am very interested in Hill, even versus Gainwell and others, just because of that fact that maybe he can really kind of stumble into being a guy who comes in and and totes the rock a little bit more I guess I, I was trying to think of who else we have on here didn't quite have as good of a receiving profile but like Wayne Gallman fits in there another guy where he didn't do much but at least they, he was given a chance right to, mm-hmm. to for for a couple of games with injury to be that guy um and I think that's that's maybe a little bit. I'd say Zach Stacy is another guy that I have down there. RIP. He was a, a great, great, great rookie season. <laughs> Inefficient, but great rookie season. Great, great volume season from Zach Stacy back in the day. So, yeah, I, I definitely think Hill is very interesting for that reason. Um, 
who else do we have on here that I want to talk about? Let me let me just scroll down your old rankings. Go see this. Did anything happen with Chuba Hubbard? Uh, I was a little disappointed in his testing. He's one of the few guys where I really wanted to see him burn because I felt like he was a sprinter. He made all these long plays when he was uh, in his in his last season. Where he's and he's also this weird guy where like if he comes out after the two thousand yard season, what happens? Like where is he ended mm-hmm. up drafted versus where he's gonna gonna be drafted now, which is probably not until day three. Yeah, he had a falling out with the coaching staff there too uh, last year. Uh, some off-field stuff. So did Kylan Hill, who ended up opting yeah. out at, at one point. Yeah, he had a real big falling out uh, with coaching staff. But uh, yeah, if Hubbard, the Hubbard, the million dollar question is like, just if he comes out last year, where we talked about where this might have worked out for Harris, uh, it really kind of hurt Hubbard, right? Like coming back. Um, it, he, he might not have gone high in that gaggle of running backs last year. And if, when we saw the testing maybe last year too, it wouldn't have been as high and we would have cooled down. Maybe that was part of the process as well. Um, but yeah, if he comes out last year off of that production, he has more life, right? More pulse. Seeing last year kind of happen is just kind of a red flag. He's a guy that's kind of a home run or nothing type of runner too. Yeah. Uh, which at the NFL level, like if you're running a four or five, like it's hard for us to really bank on that. Be, you being a home run kind of runner, uh, you know, in the NFL, uh, he has that track background. Kind of disappointed. Tylen Wallace did the same thing. Tylen Wallace was like a high school long jumper, and like came out and had like a like one of the worst broad jumps of any wide receiver. <laughs> it's like, well, what's happening, man? I know he had the, he had the ACL injury, but. Uh, yeah, Hubbard just really hurt his stock. I I still like he's like a tweener, you know, two hundred six foot, two hundred ten pounds. It's not like the speed score like was detrimental. Like it still it still is okay for a size, but like we like you said, everyone was anticipating it to be the hallmark of his profile. Everyone expecting him to run a four four, like a four four three eight or something crazy, and be like a Tevin Coleman type. And now we can't even really think treat him as a Tevin Coleman type. Yeah, I mean um, they're just like handing out four three eights left and right over here. And I, I initially. <laughs> It was initially tweets came out saying he ran a four three eight. I remember this because I was on vacation mm-hmm. and then like an idiot, I like quote tweet that and I was like, Well, this is I'm like, this is a four three eight I can believe because he's a sprinter. And then like people are jumping in and they're like, No, it's four four eight officially, you know, like uh uh laughing at me. Uh LOL, a lot of LOLs going on here. And uh so then I was like, Ah, that's that's not good because he doesn't grade well for us because he does not have this broken tackle profile. He has the home run hitter profile, mm-hmm. which if he ran a if he ran faster, I would say is under it could be undervalued. Like some of these guys that are undervalued that 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 can make their own way but not break a tackle and that sort of thing can gain those incremental yards. But yeah, that was that was painful and dropped him down for, for me. Let's just let's just go through rather than go through every single player on here. Uh, a couple guys that I'm gonna just go throw at you. I think are interesting. Khalil Herbert mm-hmm. is interesting only because he's big, but he just shows nothing in the receiving game. So what do we think about him? When I see him play, though, I could see him kind of running one of these wide zone type of schemes, the way that he's that he's been there, and he's he's he just came out of nowhere last year, breaking off these long runs, and he's big enough, he's fast enough to maybe get into that sort of mold, but he didn't show anything receiving. And I I think he showed a little bit receiving in the senior bowl, which people thought, of course that happens for a lot of guys. They're like, Oh, they can catch when they're given a chance, but when they're not used in that way, it's a little concerning. Yeah. I'm not as down on his receiving profile just because, well, one, so this is so clear. Herbert playing at Kansas, which was just a cesspool. (laughs) <laughs> like an absolute cesspool of collegiate football in the past like three seasons. Uh, just what a joke of a program it was. But he also played alongside Puka Williams, who was mm-hmm. used in that role. Uh, you know, the Dexter McCluster role uh, that, that he looks like. Um, Puka Williams also uh, hit me with like that, uh, an all-time like heartbreak betting moment last year. Uh, 
Uh, Kansas was just so dreadful. They couldn't set lines high enough and they played against West Virginia and the line was 21 and a half points. And I was just at that point laying anything against Kansas. And he ran a, a meaningless kickoff back with, with, with one minute left of the game to make the cut the score to 21 <laughs> and, and ruin yeah. the bet. Uh, and then opted out the week after, but because Puka Williams at Kansas, you know, Khalil Herbert never got this runway last year. So he transfers, goes to Virginia tech. They actually give him an opportunity Right. Uh, you know, not like a massive opportunity. He still is under 170 touches because that's kind of like we said, he's a tweener profile guy. He's, he's 210. Um, but he just rips off just nothing but explosive plays last year. 8.2 yards per touch. Uh, the highest of all running backs in this class. Just just went just bonkers and turning in big plays. And that's kind of what he is. He's what we thought I think we wanted Shuba Hubbard to be. Uh, you know, uh, from a big play stance and being able to kind of have a, a profile that checked out to kind of roll over there because he actually didn't completely brick, you know, his comment. He ran a 4 4 8, uh, you know, had really crummy explosion scores, though, looking at it and then not the agility scores. So that's what you have. You give him a tarmac, he's going to make a big play. And if not, like, it's probably not going to be a big play. But uh, yeah, he's an interesting yeah. guy, too, as well, I believe, at, at his, his spot. Um, I do think there's some receiving upside with him still. I don't know. If, I don't know if I want to use upside the right word, but I think that there's receiving acumen. Like he's able to catch a football. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The way, um, the way he ran, I, I mean, there's like, there's not really like a good comp that I can come up with. that's like not overhyping him a little bit too much because he had like these ridiculously long runs. You're going to look at him and you say like, he's kind of like, he reminded me a little bit of maybe like a broke man's, uh, um, a broke man's Nick Chubb or something like that and how he was running, but it's very broke. You're broke. I mean, you're like, you're destitute. A destitute man. His is top comp for me was Anthony McFarlane and it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, oh, damn, I realized like, yeah, oh, I have a type now. <laughs> like, because yeah. thinking about Anthony McFarlane and why I liked him coming out of Maryland was like those those home run balls, that big playability yeah. and just saying like, well, if he can come any type of consistent back or just get some touches to mix in, like he could be that. And seeing Khalil Herbert and Anthony McFarlane be so close on my, uh, you know, comp list, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let, let's wrap this up here with say like uh, – do you have any long shot guys that we should be prioritizing here? I know you were, is your Jamar Jefferson love still intact or has it been, or has it been um, mitigated by, I guess his pro day wasn't great, but it didn't, I don't know if it matters that much just for the fact that maybe he's not even drafted at this point, I guess. Yeah. So I moved him way down on the, on just the logic of like, I, I, I mean, he's definitely gonna be a day three guy. If that, and now like he's, is he even draftable? Like will yeah. a team even view him as draftable? That's why I moved him way down, you know, trying to have some foresight on capital. He's not going to have the capital. Some of these other guys did. I do really like his production profile. I mean, as a true freshman at 18, age 18, I mean, he was bonkers at 1500 yards, you know, 12 touchdowns. Uh, also, I believe, I don't know, have this metric handy. Cause like, I don't, you, you might, you know, working for pro football focus, but I have to believe that he was one of the highest running backs in terms of attempts versus stack boxes I mean this this Oregon State offense was just complete garbage last year and all they had to do every play every game was just be able to hand him the football uh, and that's why you see him break some long runs because teams are selling out to stop the run against Oregon State because they know they don't respect the pass and you know when you clear the second level on some of these stack box runs that's when you end up getting with explosive plays and that's why he had yeah. some of those kind of stand out um, but I'm so kind that interested. exactly but they're like yeah. a bottom 10th percentile team blocking uh, grade. So that's, that, okay. that, that plays into it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he was guys, a freshman too, that caught passes. He had 25 catches as a freshman at age 18. So I'm still into the production profile. I'm more hesitant on just like the draft capital profile, but he's a guy I still will take some late round dart throws. Cause he still is an early declare. 
Um, but he also came in lighter than I thought he was going to be too. You know, he's another guy. He came in at 206. Like if he's hanging around 210, 212, you have more room to go up or down. Like, you know what I mean? You at least have the option to say like, all right, well, if he plays a little bit heavier, he gets an opportunity. Like 206 is more in that range of like, "Mm, okay. Like it's, it's more of a gray area. Like, can he get the touches or just be stuck in a committee? Uh, definitely will still throw some darts intrigued to the production profile, but very cooled off on just the anticipation that he could very much not be drafted at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I have miles Gaskin for, for his. See, so did I, uh, I had Gaskin as a high comp. And then, um, there was another pac 12 running back that popped too. uh, off the top of my head. His name's elusive, uh, elusive to me, but now I was like, Oh, maybe pac 12 just has like these guys that, but that, that can pop later. Uh, I just, I, it, it's, it's off the top tip of my tongue. Oh, it was Kadeem yeah, Carey. Yeah. Kadeem Carey was the other guy. Yeah, oh, I remember he was like his, um, he was a guy that people were excited about from a production standpoint. And then he ran like the worst 40 ever or something though. Right. Wasn't he like a he four, ran a four seven. Yeah. It was like, it was like approaching four seven at not so, so heavy. So yeah, I mean, yeah, just to reiterate the, the pro day that we're talking about here for Jefferson. So you mentioned the two Oh six. So it was the four, five, five, 40, which isn't, isn't horrible, but the, the, the periphery sort of stuff, the vertical at 31 inches is like 10th percentile, the broad 115, 25th percentile, uh, the three cone three uh, seven, three, eight, which is probably mm-hmm. juiced like, cause this is a pro day. Um, eighth percentile with with a potentially juice. So yeah, just not, mm-hmm. not yeah, you're just not going to get excited. Well, I, I want to talk about guy on the flip side of it because this is a guy you're pretty low on, but I'm like high on knowing higher on knowing I'm probably going to be disappointed and I probably wouldn't pick him post draft. And that's Chris Evans from from Michigan because I feel like someone could talk themselves into this guy because he did perform really well at his pro day. He was like good as a freshman he was a guy who was making some some he was a decent recruit coming out um supposedly at the at 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 the senior bowl he was one of these guys who really impressed as far as being able to catch the ball and looked more dialed in he may have been a little bit of a head case sort of situation obviously suspended for a year he was out for a year in college so my only thing about him is maybe someone could talk themselves into him in like the third round or something like that Maybe, maybe it's within the realm of possibility despite the fact that like this guy really has no production Plus the, I mean, the Harbaugh discount, I mean, just go through Harbaugh's resume of four and five star skill player recruits at Michigan that one just transferred the amount of guys that transferred that he recruited as four and five star guys is, is just insane. And then the amount of wasted talent there. Uh, and you have a guy like Chris Evans who basically got phased out of that offense. Uh, even though it's like on a per touch basis, he was pretty good every year at Michigan. Yeah. Just never ran into a lot of touches uh, because like, I mean, we can easily just kind of, there might be like a Harbaugh discount on all these guys. <laughs> even Donovan Peoples Jones had a productive, you know, you know, rookie season for a sixth round pick. Uh, you know, a year ago for the Browns. I mean, there might be something to this, you know, what went down at Michigan uh, over over Harbaugh's, you know, initial run here. Yeah, I mean, Evans um, had 16 rushing attempts last year. Yes. And I mean, it's pretty bonkers to think about. <laughs> it's like, this is a guy, I mean, he had 600 yards as a freshman. He, he went a little bit further as a sophomore, which was kind of a disappointing jump. And then it was like, See you later. You know, went down to 400 yards on 81 attempts, out for the year, uh, barely doing anything. Did he did great? Like he graded pretty well when he actually got some chances, but just such a low volume sort of thing that like looking at any efficiency stat is difficult for him because he doesn't have any volume. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. I could definitely see a, a team talking themselves into him, and even you know uh, I know some uh, draft nicks like him 
and some guys that I respect like him as a player as well. Like you said, he was a high recruit too. So obviously being a high recruit, you're not going to be just a complete vagabond. It's just like almost impossible to have any expectations though. Uh, it's yeah. just like you said, if you it's, it's, if you want to take like a, like a fourth round rookie pick, just that shoot your shot. Uh, the only reason I, that's the only reason I'm so low on him in like in rankings is just because I mean, I just have no expectations like for a guy who has this kind of profile. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. When I did some comps, uh, <laughs> Uh, Daniel Lasco, if you remember him, showed up. Yes, yes. Sh- showed up in there. He was the total workout warrior. Um, he was even better. Like he was even like a, a little. I mean, I, Evans had a forty and a half vert. I think Lasco was like forty one and a half or forty two. Lasco was over eleven feet, I believe, at the broad jump. Um, where Evans was good, ten feet seven inches, six five six three cone. I don't know. I'm, I'm questioning that a little bit. Like. I don't... <laughs> That's a little fast. As a, like, <laughs> I'm questioning the finger. The, the, the finger, the, the thumb may not have been, maybe using thumb instead of the, the index finger on, on that one because it was that seems a little bit fast. But again, but, it, but the difference between him and Lasco is that like he has this, this, this perception of pedigree, right? And I feel like that with this pro day that people can fall in love with and senior bowl that people can fall in love with could all combine to get some sort of like mm-hmm. absurd draft capital that people aren't expecting. So. That would be my yeah, thing. I totally is there agree. anyone is there is there anyone that I missed here that, that you think is interesting? Um, well, I think if there's the listeners, the if there's listeners, they probably would real quick just like us to to talk about Jarrett Patterson and Javion Hawkins. But I think for the oh, same right, yeah, reasons, yeah. but yeah, I think yeah. for the same reasons we haven't touched upon them are going to be very similar. I mean, you're just not going to talk me into a five foot eight hundred eighty pound running back. You're just not. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and I yeah. respect Javion Hawkins as fast. And he can make it. You're just not. I, I'm just not going to be talked into 180 pound running back. I think he, there's, there's definitely some exciting plays. And when you have a, a running back that's 5'8", 180, like he's aesthetically, he's going to look fun, right? Like, yeah. Like he's just because he's not getting kind of like bruising runs and doing stuff. So I get it. And Jarrett Patterson, you know, obviously, you know, everyone loves him because he had that, you know, like, insane DFS game, the eight touchdown game last year. Um, and I think he had a two game stretch where he actually ran for like 600 yards or something like insane, but the uh, same thing, five foot, 695 pounds. Like that's just not a profile that I'm going to invest in. Someone's going to always like that in my rookie draft more than I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you could, you could tr- like, you could try to say, I mean, everyone's, you're we're always a year late on everything, right? So it'd be like, Oh, who's the James Robinson this year? Oh, Jared Patterson. Yeah. He's just not big enough. Like he's, I'm sorry. Like, it's just mm-hmm. not going to, it's just not going to happen for for that reason. I guess one other guy I'll rem- I'll mention. You you don't seem very high on Ramondre Stevenson. The only reason I'm a, fine with very, him though. In, in a very shortened season, you know, he did catch like three three three. I think he had three receptions a game in a very shortened season here. So he didn't look great catching the ball, but maybe there's something there. And he's just really he's he's big. He's a big dude. He's not particularly fast, but he's not like abysmally slow. Yeah, I think when it comes to Ramondre Stevenson, uh, you know, my model likes him more than I do. I, I'm below yeah. the model rank on him, but I just like see a profile where like he's gonna have to score a lot of touchdowns, and like those guys are always really tough to kind of bank on in the NFL. But uh, definitely from a size perspective, I think he's gonna go higher than people think he will. Like, I actually do believe he will be drafted higher than like the analytic Twitter uh, is they'll be upset. Like they'll be like, Oh, like when he gets drafted, you'll see probably a flood of stuff. Like, I can't believe they took this dude, this turtle, uh, you know, he's so big and he's so slow, but uh, you know, from a size perspective, there just aren't a lot of big backs in this class and the team just is going to want that guy to like, just come, especially with going to 17 games in a season. Like yeah. this guy's going to have some value over the course of a season. When we talk about load management for your backfields, like this is a guy that can come in and take some load management, come in on third and two, 
come in on, you know, second and four or whatever, you know, and, and be a banger and, or take goal line carries from like a, a guy that maybe is not a bigger back uh, on your roster. I think that an NFL team is actually going to like him more than the analytical crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it was one of those things where without trying to trying too hard to, to put something ridiculous out there, when I did put him into the model, Arian Foster did come up as the number, as the number one cup, but then again, Arian Foster was a really bad prospect. So it's like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a flip side. Like he wasn't a good prospect. He was undrafted. He didn't have production. He was slow. Um, but he did, he did, you know, show something in the receiving game as, as a college prospect. But, you know, hoping for that going future for the future for Stevenson is kind of ridiculous. But I'm, I, I'll still lean on that just because I need, you know, you need to attract some eyeballs some way. So put it. I'm out. open to it. I mean, if you were to say, like, we don't expect there to be a James Robinson's class and I don't expect Stevenson to be undrafted. But for a rookie running back that we think would outseed expectations based on, you know, where most people have ranked in capital, I don't think Stevenson is like a bad bet like we don't expect it to happen so you're not going to bet on it to happen but like if there was a guy like I would say like you know based on his size and scoring ability and like you said just a little, little bit of displayed receiving ability like he kind of is in that mold yeah yeah and he's a guy where he's huge but he wasn't really like a bruiser also he was kind of weird like he 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 wasn't a broken tackle run through you type of guy so I don't know if NFL teams like that we'll see we'll, we'll see well, remember broken. people thought he was going to be like 250 yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, he was, they listed him at, I think, like 243 or 247, and yeah, yeah. he ended up being 227, which was more palatable for a lot of people. But I, yeah. a lot of people were expecting him to be like this, like, enormous dude. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, we'll see. If he fell, yeah, he could fall into the right situation. Again, just having that size, not necessarily great from an NFL value perspective, but we're looking at fantasy. We're looking at, you know, we're hoping for those outlier outcomes. All right, man. This is great. Uh, follow Rich on Twitter, as you probably already are, at Lord Reeves. What else we got coming out, coming into draft season? Should we be looking out for? Uh, right now, me and Dan Pizzuto are walking through, like, every NFL roster offensive de- defensively for, like, an NFL need stance. Because uh, this is kind of like a dead period for fantasy. You right. know? So we're focused more on the NFL draft team need stance. I will probably will drop an article around some of these player comps that you heard on here. I do every year because we didn't even talk about any wide receiver ones. And those ones draw a lot more attention because they have a lot more variance to them uh people get a lot more triggered by wide receiver comps to running back comps uh when you have some like because you said it's always prospect based so people say like oh well, this guy's a pro is complete trash and they'll flip out but uh i will drop some some player comps you know, over here in the next couple of weeks before the nfl draft on those but uh yeah really just looking forward to the nfl draft getting some landing spot on these guys and then moving to the next phase of the offseason yeah yeah the wide receiver com- comps are tough because like draft position isn't necessarily as important for wide receivers mm-hmm. or not, but you just don't get these like late round guys who randomly luck into being great players. Like it's just there's <laughs> a lot of guys that do these comp pieces where it's like you list the ten top comps and it's like a big thud. There's like literally nothing that that, that shows up there. Whereas sometimes with running backs, you can get guys that are just randomly show up because they're given an opportunity. And with wide receivers, I'm sorry, you know, you're day three wide receiver, you're probably not doing anything in the NFL. That's just the that's just the, that's just the way it goes. Um, yep. But anyway, anyway, thanks so much again. Like I said, I've exploited you here for for another episode so i appreciate that um next week i'm going to come back i'm going to talk to our mutual friend jj zacharyson about wide receivers which will probably go on for like two hours going through all the guys in an exciting class this year um but uh we'll talk to you next week thanks 